Greetings, fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Uh, contrary to what you may think should have come uh, this week, we do not have a Des Moines review. Instead, I think you'll agree that we have something better. Uh, today, I have one of the largest, or if not the largest, World of Warships YouTuber, our evil gnome overlord, veteran of 22 years service in the Royal Navy. It is the Mighty Jingles. Better than the Des Moines? What heresy is this? <laughs> I would say you're better than the Des Moines, although the Des Moines is fairly popular right now. Des Moines is pretty good. Yeah, just unlocked it. So, uh, what got you into World of Warships, Jingles? Well, uh, obviously I started off playing World of Tanks, and then they announced they were doing World of Warships. And it's Warships, so <laughs> 22 years in the Navy. I mean, of course I was going to be up for that. Um, I didn't take much persuading, uh, and I certainly haven't regretted it. Yeah, uh it's certainly a very cool game, especially for uh, those of us who enjoy uh, naval history and have served in the Navy. <laughs> yeah, and there isn't that much competition out there either. There aren't that many naval-based games, um, and most of those that are games like, uh, oh, there was a game in the 80s called Harpoon, which I think there's a modern version of now that the name escapes me, but it was more of a tactical and strategic level game. There aren't that many arcade, but uh, naval games that look as good as World of Warships does. So it, it helped that they didn't have an awful lot of competition. And they, they still really don't. I mean, they got no. War Thunder, but even even then, War Thunder is more of a simulation than it is. An yeah, War Thunder is different. It's 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 World of Warships for people who prefer. Um, I hesitate to use the word accuracy, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, given some of the stunts that War Thunder have pulled. But it is definitely you're right, much much more of a simulator than an arcade game. Yeah, because you, you don't have the reload boosters that half your battleships reload time and things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Magically, all of a sudden, those ammunition hoists are working twice as fast. Yeah. Um, so the state of play, which is a bit of a hot topic since um, we've seen the Soviet carriers be announced and was at SD 10.6. Um, mm -hmm. what, what do you think World of Warships is doing right now? Is it healthy or is it not super healthy or... Um, yeah, I have to admit, I was quite disappointed at the news that Russian carriers were going to be introduced. I mean, you know, what next? Somali battleships, Swiss carriers, um, particularly since there are existing carriers from existing nations that are in the game that still haven't seen their way in. Uh, the French, for example. Yeah, yeah. French is like, that's uh, just looking at uh, Reddit and things, all the comments are saying, where are the French carriers? And I totally yeah. agree with that. I mean, I have no doubt we'll get the French carriers. Um, but from a personal perspective, I can't remember anybody saying, I know what the game needs most right now, more aircraft. <laughs> because, um, I mean, I don't have to tell you about the general. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't have, I don't have any numbers to, to actually uh, prove what it is that I'm saying here. But the feeling is that people don't like the aircraft carrier rework. I agree that a carrier rework needed to happen because of the utter dominant was experiencing by the three or four people in the world who were actually good at playing RTS style carriers compared to everybody else who was terrible or at the very least mediocre. It definitely needed a rework. I wouldn't agree that the rework has been successful. I seem to have more fun and many people agree with me when you're in a match where there aren't any carriers, but it is what it is. At the same time, and it hurts me to say this, but I have to, I have to look at the news of Russian carriers with a certain degree of equanimity. Because just because they're introducing Russian carriers doesn't mean there are going to be more carriers. If people aren't interested in playing carriers, they're already not playing carriers. They're not just going to start playing carriers because there are now Russian carriers available. Existing aircraft carrier players are going to play Russian carriers. That doesn't mean there's going to be more people playing them. That might be true on the Russian server, 
where people may start playing them because they're Russian carriers, but you know, for us in the EU or on the North American servers, that isn't going to make much of a difference. Plus, I kind of like the idea, which is going to take some balancing, obviously, of the Russian carriers having one strike per launch, rather than being able to cross-drop you with multiple strikes from multiple angles with the same launch. So it's going to be a balancing act, and I'm not confident they're going to be able to do it successfully, but I think with the Russian carriers, they are at least taking a couple of steps in the right direction. Yeah, that's a big thing that I've been saying, especially on my podcast. People are complaining about like the FDR and things like that. It's like, yes, those ships are very, very strong, but just because they exist doesn't mean you have to play them, right? Exactly. I mean, yes, they shouldn't be in the game, but there, there are, like, with the Issei, you, um, like, first two days or so, you, all you saw was just triple Issei divisions for battleships. It was absolutely yeah. miserable down at Tier 6. Yeah. But after, like, you, two you or look, three you days... You looked at the minimap, and it was just aircraft icons everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and then, then you just see the Dunkirks and things who don't have the best anti-aircraft firepower just getting nuked by three Aces, dropping them from four, three different angles. You got 12 yeah. different torpedoes coming at them. That, that's the thing with the hybrids. It, it's not so much the power of their... Uh, because the Tone in particular, its aircraft are not actually that good. The Issei's are all right, but it wasn't so much the damage that they could do with the torpedo drops, because the damage was terrible. The torpedoes only did like 2,700 damage per hit, and then you factored in torpedo damage reduction. It was the fact that they were, or the potential possibility that somebody would turn to avoid getting the torpedo drop and then give broadside to half the enemy fleet. And, and that was the flexibility that the hybrids introduced into you know, the, the games that they're in. But also you've got the fact that they don't actually count as anything other than, well, the Issei counts as a battleship in the matchmaking. The Tone counts as a cruiser in the matchmaking. So you could have all of the hybrids on. It's theoretically possible. I've seen games where all of the radars are on one team and not on the other. You know, you put four radar cruisers into a match, you put them all on one team. Four divided by two isn't a complicated logarithmic equation. You know, it's just I can see a way where they can balance it without loading one team with all of the advantages and the other team not. But the matchmaker can't manage that. So I've got no confidence that the matchmaker isn't going to be able to balance the hybrids and put them all onto one team and not on the other. It's certainly going to happen. And it's going to be painful for the team that doesn't happen uh, when it does, rather than if it does, because it will happen. Um, the the whole, I mean, the whole balancing thing in World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, there I go. I've been playing too much World of Warcraft today. <laughs> the whole balancing thing in World of Warships is an extremely delicate balancing act. And it only gets worse for the developers as the game goes on because at the beginning it was just americans and japanese and the americans didn't have battleships and the japanese didn't have carriers but then they introduced american battleships and japanese carriers and then the germans and the british and the french and they had to give a different theme if you like to each of the new lines yeah. each of the new nations and each of the new lines within those nations so for example the german destroyers um you got the hydro you got the fast loading torpedoes um, with the British destroyers, you got the uh, short duration but short cooldown smoke, the long duration but short range hydro. And every time you introduce a new gimmick like this, it affects the balance of everything that existed previously. So at this point, with this many different ships, with Italian semi-armor piercing, with high-speed smoke for the Italians, with all of the new national gimmicks that they've introduced, it must be absolutely impossible to try to balance everything against what, you know, they've introduced over the course of the last five years. So they don't, they're not making it any easier for themselves. And now we're getting submarines. <laughs> so 
yeah um yeah i think i think honestly war games a bit lost as to what to do with submarines because people are complaining well submarines aren't powerful enough they can't do anything and then as soon as they like um buff the submarines and people are complaining that the battleships don't have a counterplay to the submarines and then they they've just really created a nightmare for themselves with like i like the fact that each nation has its own you know gimmicks and things like that like if you want to go really fast chances are the french or what you're going to want to go with Mm-hmm. but i mean like you said that's an extra layer of compliment uh complication and it's like don't even get us started on the commander rework like oh well, I mean, well the, the commander rework that was so successful they had to rework the rework uh, um, and they still haven't done because the whole all of the close quarter the the secondary builds and so on and so on they said they're not going to touch for at least another six months so we may end up coming back and having a rework of the rework of the rework yeah i just I don't know. I mean, I love playing secondary ships like the Palmer and things like that, but they have just nerfed the effectiveness of secondaries down. I got a one match where I had 130,000 damage, I think it was, and I think like 17k of it was my secondaries, and I spent most of the time well within secondary. So, uh, yeah, I mean, ships like the Palmer, the Massachusetts, obviously, mm-hmm. so much fun to play. Not necessarily the most effective build that you could have on those ships, but the secondary build and like you know the Frederick the Great and the Grosser Kerfest as well so much fun to play and has been nerfed by the commander skill rework but ironically anything below tier seven yeah, has been buffed mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> because got- previously they only got 15 percent improved accuracy for ships at tier six and below and now they're getting the same 35 percent that everybody else is getting so it's an actual buff on the ships that don't matter <laughs> so well yeah now you got byrons that can just um or Bayerns that are actually really, really accurate with their secondaries where it used to be just kind of like everywhere and maybe you'd get hit by one or two shells and in your desperate yeah. escape from the secondaries and now you're actually getting like hammered. And uh, yeah. if, you were, if you were lucky, the Bayern might set a fire with its secondaries, but if you, you didn't build a Bayern for secondaries in order to be effective. Exactly. Uh, now we may as well just all be playing Mikasas, which are now, which are now <laughs> all, I mean, they were fun before the rework and they're just awesome now, but it's just dirty, filthy seal clubbing. <laughs> exactly. They got the was it the Agincourt with its secondaries? Yeah, it's just actually insane. Yeah, no. I'm so pleased they released it oh, rather yes. than because oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious how much if they're ever going to release it for uh, the premium shop or have they? I haven't checked. Sorry, um, what was that? Have they released it for the premium shop yet? I don't think they did, right? Uh, not the Agincourt. Okay. No, the, the, the only way that you can get eh, this is something else. I'm not, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a free to play game. I accept that they have to put food on the table somehow, but. Uh, I've never been a fan of the gambling with loot boxes method of, a, of acquiring a ship. Um, I, I would always recommend just wait until it's available in the premium shop. Yeah, honestly, I, I've seen people um, who've opened like 80 of those boxes that are the yeah. crates that contain are supposed to contain a Kronstadt or something like that and get nothing but camos. <laughs> and, and Makarovs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my one of my friends got a Macro. I was like, "Oh my gosh, you got a premium ship!" I'm like, "That's like the most common premium ship to get from a container." That's, I mean, cool but not cool at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I've I've never. Been, I mean, it's gambling basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they wanted it. So, uh, what has kept you playing through all this uh, reworks and reworks of the reworks and all these new Soviet ships like the Petro and the Thunder, the Conqueror and the Goliath? And what has kept you playing through all that? It's still fun. I mean, they're taking the game in directions that I don't necessarily agree with, but the core gameplay is it's 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 better than it was when they first started. Because I don't know if you can remember back from beta and when the game first released, um, things like open water cruisers, um, the Hindenburg and the Rune, for example, that had a surface detection range of like twelve kilometers, thirteen kilometers, but they could fire to a range of eighteen, which meant that they have a, they could open water, no smoke screen, stealth shoot. 
without being detected because your surface mm -hmm. detection range didn't bloom to the range of your guns whenever you fired. That used to be a thing. You'd see the Fletcher and the gearing doing that without having to use a smokescreen because they could do it as well. Um, carriers were hopelessly vulnerable in the face of destroyers. It, it's not a popular thing to remind people of, but when I was in my Clemson and Nicholas and Farragut, if there was a carrier on the enemy team who was going to die, I was going to get him. It was just a question <laughs> of how long it would take me. Exactly. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even exaggerating. Um, then the carrier rework took things way too far in the other direction. Uh, they've spent two years now, I think, trying mm -hmm. to dial that back in. And honestly, I think at the moment, um, destroyers and carriers are probably in an okay place, as long as the destroyer isn't stupid enough to try to go after and kill the carrier. Well, especially with the um, nerf to rockets where they have that machine gun action uh, yeah. time, I think that has given a, a lot more balance to it. Probably mm -hmm. around where it should be. Not, I mean, I guess we'll see how it does in practice after like a few weeks of, of playing and people yeah. start to figure out how to use them. But I think it's kind of gotten to balance a little more. Yeah. It still completely fails to address the what I think is the, the, the biggest imbalance of the carriers, the fact that they can spot everywhere in, uh, in almost no time whatsoever mm -hmm. without yeah. taking any of the risks that anybody else would have to take in order to even approximate the same level of utility but I, how do you balance i just don't understand how you could possibly balance that unless you take spotting away from aircraft altogether which is just doesn't doesn't make sense or, or make so, it so that only fighters can spot them or something like that but then you take all of the yeah. any realisticality of the game or a historical accuracy that was still kind of in there and just suck it out yeah I mean, the whole historical accuracy. I mean, I'm as guilty of, of waving the historical accuracy banner myself as much as anybody. But it isn't a simulator. Mm -hmm. it, it isn't. It is an arcade game. At the same time, anything that we've got that w willing suspension of disbelief when it comes to things like radar, for example, which doesn't work the way radar should work. It's basically just a magic spell. Um, <laughs> goes through <laughs> islands and things goes like that. Goes through islands and everything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, ground tunneling radar on board World War II battleships. Of course, yeah, no problem. Um, but we, we, you know, it's fine. It, it's for the game. We get it. Um, the trick, of course, is not crossing the line um, and making things so ridiculous, like you know, carriers basically being immune to fire. Um, that, carriers that being able to launch fixed. aircraft. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> this, this I haven't heard. Yeah, I know. So they're right? actually not going to be able to launch aircraft when their flight decks are awash in flames. Surely not. <laughs> <clears throat> I just, yeah, I, that is the one thing that, like, I could see everything else about the carrier rework, like what, they, like what they were trying to do, how, even if they failed at it, like they had good intentions, just the damage con on the aircraft carriers, like, come on, like immune to fire and automatic. <laughs> yeah. Um, they Seriously, I have, I have this direct from a, a, from one of the developers themselves. They genuinely didn't think that the aircraft carrier players would be smart enough to be able to tell the difference between an aircraft consumable and a ship consumed. And that is why you have no control over the consumables on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. You think you could have just put a bracket <clears throat> around it, but it said aircraft and then bracket around the ship consumables, yeah. then ship. I mean, because apparently, you know, four or five consumables is too much for anybody to be able to manage. Yeah. Worcester Meanwhile, would like on board HMS you. Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Oh, oh, I've stopped arguing. <laughs> you're, you're just taking it as it comes right now. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, though, I mean, I do still enjoy playing the game. It is still fun. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't envy them the balancing act that they have five years down the line with the amount of different ships and gimmicks and things that they've introduced. Because I wouldn't I wouldn't even I wouldn't even want to have a nightmare about trying to, you know, if I, if I, if I dreamed about trying to balance all that, I, I'd have to wake up and apologize. <laughs> 
So yeah, good luck to them. Yeah, I mean, you do have to. I think that's what some people feel to take into like consideration is how they're how they're actually going to go about balancing things. They just say, well, it's overpowered, but like, how do you how do you bring that back into being balanced? You know what I mean? I mean, and look at carriers, for example, um, with carriers being every two tiers from tier four instead of you know every tier from tier four the way they were, um, and you look at ships like the Atlanta, which used to be an AA powerhouse and now is just a kind of big joke. Mostly because the Atlanta's AA is all long range. It's all flak, be- yeah. Yeah, it's all flak, which you can dodge. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> you're aware that your AA guns actually start the battle unloaded. Seriously? Did you know that? No. no I did oh, not know yes. That. Okay. Well, here's something. If you didn't know it, maybe your viewers didn't know it. Yes. Um, you know how you start the battle and it goes, battle starts and then your guns start loading. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the AA guns don't. Apparently, the ship goes to action stations or general quarters for you North yeah. American types, and everybody rushes to their action stations apart from the anti-aircraft gun crews who just sit around smoking cigarettes and playing poker. And they don't start loading the guns until an enemy aircraft enters um, range of the AA guns. So, you know, ships that depend on dual-purpose 127-millimeter guns, for example, for the majority of their anti-aircraft firepower... They have a three-second wait time, right? You have a three se- The aircraft are inside your medium-range before the the AA the long range guns get a chance to start firing, so why? Because game balance reasons, apparently. So you know, I just I don't get it. But you take something that, for example, has strong AA. Let's say the Cleveland, a tier eight, and you put that in a top tier game where the carrier on the enemy team is a Shikaku, and it's got strong AA against the Shikaku. It'll it'll hurt the Shikaku if he wants to try to strike the Cleveland. But then you put the Cleveland into a tier. 10 game where there's a midway on the enemy team and it's a different matter entirely and they they have to somehow and that's a ship that has strong aa but what about the ships at tier 8 that have weak aa they just get absolutely crapped yeah, on they get into the same games as the cleveland with strong aa they have to face midways as well and their aa isn't strong enough to defend themselves from a shikaku so there's just there's so much that's hard to do when it comes to balancing aircraft carriers um, that I feel wouldn't have been maybe as hard if they'd had tier four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. But for reasons best known to themselves, that, that I mean, because there's a whole bunch of carriers in the game at those odd tiers. Uh, they're still in the game files, but you can't use them because, you know, they're well, tier. Yeah. The Bogues and uh, what is it, Raptor Rescue? Yeah, they're tier five, seven, and nine. So they're gone. All of those tier five, seven, and nine carriers. The, the, the models are still in the game files, but they're not available in the tech tree. I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm glad they're in charge of balancing it, and I'm not because mm-hmm. I could just sit at the sidelines and say that sucks, that's stupid, <laughs> without having to come up with a better idea. Yeah, I, I just the biggest thing that I wish they would do is just make long range AA continuous damage, and then I think that would fix a yeah. lot of their problems. Yeah, then they might have to buff carriers. <laughs> <laughs> and that would go down like fart in a spacesuit. Exactly. So uh, do you have a personal favorite line, like tech line? I don't actually. I, I do tend to play, it was like this in World of Tanks. I didn't have any particular favorites, although I was a big fan of the Mark 7 Centurion. I have favorite ships rather than favorite lines. Um, the one line that I haven't actually, that I don't like, is the British Heavy Crew. Really? Um, That's yeah. interesting. I mean, the Goliaths good yeah it is very um, but, good yeah and it's it's usually played in clan battles as a counter to things like you know the petra pavlovsks and stalingrads of this world yeah where it can literally just do take off 10k each salvo with the high explosive yeah exactly 
Um, but the ships leading up to the Goliath, I found just boring. So I never really bothered that, which is quite surprising because they're British and I feel like I'm culturally obliged to have every British <laughs> ship in the game. Uh, but they just didn't grab me at all. Uh, so I don't really have any particular favourite lines. I mean, I love the American battleships. I love the American destroyers. I That's used to really, really love the American cruisers, but I don't think cruisers have been in, a, in, in general, have been in a good place for about six months now with the amount of super battleships and super cruisers that can just, you know, look at them. And I mean, when was the last, how, how, how many times do you, do you see light cruisers that aren't maybe the Minotaur in a random yeah, battle? You, you don't, you hardly ever see a Zao in random battles. Yeah. And the Zao is a heavy cruiser. Mm-hmm. Well, but, yeah, that's but, true. But it's basically about, a light cruiser. Yeah. How about the light cruisers when, uh, that, that aren't maybe a minute or when was the last time you saw anybody playing a Worcester? Yeah. You I, really I, don't. This, this morning, I actually went through uh, all of the videos that I have. Uh, well, not I haven't put commentary on them yet, but it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the replays that I've recorded video of before I had commentary to them. Just out of curiosity, I went and I looked and I saw how many people are playing light cruisers these, which I thought was particularly amusing since the Elbing has just been introduced and the Elbing is a light cruiser killer. But there if, aren't anybody playing like cruisers just to kill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I appreciate, yeah, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole balancing thing. You know, I appreciate the concept behind the Elbing. It's huge. It's bigger than some battleships, and it's a destroyer, and it's terrible against uh, other destroyers. It really is. It's, it's awful. Yeah, but it's deadly against light cruisers. But nobody's playing light cruisers because of all the super battleships and the super cruisers and battle cruisers and the oh, so yeah, like I say, it's this a bit of a. Is- a bit of a balancing act yeah uh, i mean i am noticing there are more i've seen a few woosters uh, obviously there's more zows and salems and things like that in the grand battles i feel like yeah that's kind of what world of warships used to be before the carrier rework and the commander rework it's generally close quarters lots of he spam lots of um dev strikes and things like that it's just kind of all around fun it's, yeah it's fun I've, I've been playing it with my friends and pretty much exclusively i haven't even really touched a random battle and i I genuinely wish they would keep it. I was actually speaking of looking at um, some of my uh, replay files. I'll see if I can find it without making too much noise. But there was a just the, it was just the matchmaking. I think I don't know if it was a grand battle or a clan battle. It may have been a clan battle, but basically it was just Stalingrad's and Petropavlos. Yep, and that was it. <laughs> Why do they bother putting other ships in the game? I can't find the file. I've got a few to go through, but that was basically it. Stalingrad's Petropavlos. The occasional Venetia and Goliath. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a reason why everybody are picking those ships. Maybe there's a reason why they've been banned <laughs> <laughs> Just maybe. from the next season. Well, yeah, I was playing in the game with one of my friends. Uh, he was in uh, Petra Pavlovsk and I was in uh, Des Moines. And he literally just sat in the cap taking damage for the whole game. Never, never really died. Or he didn't, he, towards the end of the game, he got under 10,000 health, but then he healed that back and, uh, I was just sitting there. We were laughing about the entire time these battleships were shooting at it and then just ricocheting off the the armor. (sighs) Oh, dear. Wargaming. You so silly. Yeah. So so now that the Atlanta has kind of fallen off or fallen out of the limelight, what is your personal favorite ship? Oh, the War Spite. Not not just because it's the War Spite. Um, You know, the grand old lady of Jutland. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Veteran of Matapan, you name it, that ship has been there and it has done it. Um, but it's also a really good ship in the game. It is because it's got that overmatch potential at tier six. That's right. Six. At tier six, 15 inch guns at tier six. And uh, it can basically overmatch the bows of every cruiser and most of the battleships that it's going to face. Um, unless it gets hit with tier eight game, in which case, you know, not so much the battleships, but it can still do the cruisers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and they're deadly accurate as well. 
And it used to be a pain to play because it used to take a minute to rotate the turrets, but they buffed that a couple of years ago and really? it's still slow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the turret rotation on the wall spike was diabolical. Um, I think the least you could get it down to with skills and equipment was 56 seconds. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't fun. Um, but yeah, they buffed that ages ago. So most new players wouldn't you know, have yeah, that experience. Be, yeah, don't know it. And it's still not quick, but it's you know it's it's faster than the Yamato, for example. So, but yeah, the Warspite's just such a good ship. Yeah, it is, and it's and it's really tough too. I mean, I guess most battleships down at that tier are, but it is uh, not the slowest one too. Also, yeah, it's it's not fast, but it's definitely not you know it's not we're not talking New Mexico here. Oh my <laughs> struggling gosh, along e- at eighteen knots. Don't even get me started on the New Mexico. <laughs> I had to play through that thing for no, just it's got Palmer and accuracy on a ship that can't oh. even no. We're yeah. No. <laughs> All right, so um. As far as your opinion on paper ships, what what do you think about it? Is it okay that Wargaming just keeps pulling stuff out of their butts that they still need to kind of pay attention to historical accuracy? I, I don't have a problem with the concept of paper ships per se because the whole what-if thing can be fun. Um, but as long as there are ships that actually existed that they could be putting into the game but they're not, um, that that's where I... I wouldn't say, just as far as to say, draw the line. Um, but, well, the... Russian carriers versus French carriers is a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's happening because of Navy Day in Russia. Oh, well, really? It was, it was yeah. Well, it was World UFO Day three days ago. I mean, when do we see the U.S. Navy flying saucers? I mean, that's not a reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, it disappoints me when I see them putting paper ships in ahead of nations that had ships that could fill that role that actually existed, were built and sailed, fought in combat. Yeah. Like, uh, what about Italian destroyers? Has anybody ever talked about that? Well, yeah, I mean, most of the Russian destroyers, or well, not most of, a lot of the Russian destroyers were based on Italian designs. But there's exactly, no like the Tashkent and I believe the Genevni yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, I, who knows why Wargaming do things the way they do. Actually, if ever you're confused about why Wargaming have done something the way they have, if ever you're looking at a decision that they've made and you think, but well, that's just stupid, why would you do that? They're not stupid. They're absolutely not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. And the reason is always money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Just follow the money and that will explain why Wargaming have done something in any one particular way. I'm not saying they'd ever make mistakes. I mean, look at the Puerto Rico and the way they handled that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, everybody's human. They get to make mistakes every now and then as well. But most of the time, a lot of the things that they're doing that we think, well, that's just why. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It does make sense. You're just approaching it from the wrong perspective. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, so what happened? So I'm going to get into a little bit more away from all the warships right now. But what happened after retirement from the Royal Navy? Right. Um, well, I spent my last two years in the Royal Navy working at uh, the Admiralty interview for the AIB. So everybody who wants to join the Royal Navy, the Royal Naval Reserve or the Royal Marines as an officer, uh, before they even get accepted for training, they have to go through the AIB. Two days? Yes, it's a two-day session uh, where they get tested on theory, uh, general knowledge, and physical tests. And in the time that I was there approaching my end of service, the first thing that I did, because I somehow always managed to, every time I joined a ship, it was usually right after it had come back from the USA, or I would leave the ship just before it was about to go to the USA. So I've been all over the world, but I've never been to the USA. So really? I treated myself, yeah, I treated myself to a week in New York, and then came back and went on terminal leave and retired. Now, I had quite a bit of cash saved up because I'd managed to pay off all of my debts around about seven years before I reached my retirement date. So it was like getting promoted two ranks. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah. With the amount of, you know, I have to pay off everything. Um, suddenly my pay 
seemed like it was worth a hell of a lot more. And I basically, I, I just put that all away and saved it because, you know, I'd, I'd been used to living on a reduced amount of money while I was paying off all of it. Um, and I was in therefore plus you get a gratuity, a lump sum when you leave the Navy as well. Um, so I was in no rush to get a job, basically. Uh, and I sat around playing silly games on the computer all day. And I'd been into World of Tanks prior to that. Oh, the other great thing. Um, um, when I joined the Navy in 1989, the Navy pension scheme was something called AFPS, or Armed Forces Pension Scheme 75, because it was introduced in 1975. And it was a non-contributory pension scheme, which meant that I didn't have to pay towards it. So, it, And it just it just got bigger and bigger and better and better the longer I served. So when I reached the full 22 years, I got an immediate pension at the age of 41. I was oh, getting a, wow. yeah, I was getting, I was getting a pension every month at the age of 41. Um, when I reach official retirement age, that pension increases dramatically. And, and I didn't have to contribute a penny towards any of this. <laughs> so wow. um, yeah, a couple of years before I left, they realized that this pension scheme was actually costing the government a fortune. And they switched everybody over to a different pension scheme. But because I was legacy, if you like, they yeah. couldn't change mine. So nice. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I had the pension coming in. I had plenty of cash saved up. Um, I was in no rush to get a job. So that's when I started actually making the YouTube. Because um, I've been playing things like World of Tanks for a year or two prior to retiring. But I now had the time to actually do videos. And at first, I mean, people think I'm crazy for putting a video up every day. At first, I was putting three videos up every day. Because Whoa. I was, yeah, they were terrible. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Production values were absolutely abysmally bad. Um, but I was doing it, and I was enjoying it. And That's all that um, matters. Yeah, exactly. And that, even though that alone wasn't earning anywhere near enough money to live on, but because I had the pension as well, I quickly realized that I didn't actually, after about six months, didn't actually need to get a job. So I pretty much, I mean, I was incredibly lucky. I don't, I don't think I was amazingly talented or whatever. It was just right place, right time. And I was doing something in a game that was becoming increasingly popular um, that on YouTube, nobody else was doing because everybody else was putting a video out once every two weeks or once a month. But I was the guy who was putting videos up every day. Uh, so that really helped me gain traction, you know, not through any, you know, skill or quality or anything. It was just throwing up shit at the wall. <laughs> Some of it's going to stick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that really, and then of course, when War Thunder came out, um, which was aircraft at the time, not tanks, not ships. But I had that small but growing world of tanks audience that followed me into War Thunder. And then suddenly I'm generating these large numbers for for War Thunder videos. So people who were interested in War Thunder and maybe never heard of World of Tanks were getting my name pushed to the top of their recommended videos list. And it just kind of stopped. It was literally just a case of right place, right time, incredibly lucky. And those two audiences started like cross-pollinating and it kind mm. of started snowballing from there on. And then 10 years later, here I am. That is, I mean, that is pretty crazy how, um, uh, how many people from your audience have gotten into a different game based on, um, watching your videos and i still have people those people who were subscribed to me 10 years ago i mean they've grown up they've gone through high school they've gone through college they're in full-time jobs and they've been subscribed to me the whole time it's amazing and i i really do think that i have i don't often read the comments section of videos that aren't mine and every now and then when i do i'm reminded of why it is that i don't <laughs> because the comments section on youtube videos is usually a pretty nasty place yeah that's like the number one rule of publishing videos on youtube you probably don't want to check out oh, yes. the comments yeah if you if you're sensitive if you're thin skinned if you can't take criticism don't read the comments on your videos um but 
I mean, there was plenty of that as well. And that's the thing above and beyond anything else that nearly broke me and made me stop until I realized that it doesn't matter what people say about you in the comments section, as long as they're saying things about you in the comments section, because it's the comments along with the views and the likes that drives the YouTube algorithm. So if people want to badmouth me in the comments on my own videos, go for it. I'll even... I'll even goad them on in order to get them to make more comments. Exactly, because <laughs> the, the, yeah. the algorithm doesn't read what's in the comment, it just reads no, exactly. a comment. Precisely. So once I realized that I shouldn't actually stop paying, I mean, I'm not saying ignore what people are saying in the comments, but don't take it personally. Yeah. Um, because if you can't get past that, you're not going to succeed as a YouTuber. Um, I've forgotten where I was going with this. Don't worry, I do that all the time. I'm like Grandpa Sims. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be shouting angrily at clouds in a minute. Um, but, oh, yes, yeah, the people who've been, and my comment section on my videos, the people who've been with me for 10 years. Um, the comment section on my videos, I'm not saying that you can't get some toxicity in there anyway. Anyway, of course you can. It's the internet. But they do tend to be a pretty good community. And yeah, I'm very, very like proud it. of that. Yeah, because you, you got me into Elite Dangerous as a result of your videos. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a pretty interesting game. Might as well try oh. it. Oh, I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, I'm so. just really, really sorry about Odyssey. <laughs> I have nothing to do with it, okay? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I have uh, not gone out, out for uh, Odyssey. I've taken the warning from other YouTubers and as yeah. well as your videos. I mean, it's uh, it's not quite as... Well, actually, I think it may in some ways it's worse than what happened to Cyberpunk 2077, at least in my experience, because I was playing Cyberpunk on a high-end PC and it worked mostly perfectly for me. Um, but I accept that I was in the minority there. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter what you're playing Elite Odyssey on, it tanks. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, well. That's one of those things where it's like a good idea and not so great of an execution. On the bright side, we've got six months before the console release for them to fix it. So congratulations to all those people like me who were dumb enough to pay Frontier Development the price of a full-price game to beta test uh, their software for them. Sucks to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... What was your motivation to become a YouTuber? Was it just sort of like a why not sort of thing? Big fat dollars. <laughs> Basically, it paid the bills. Um, well, that's not true. Uh, well, it is, but it's not the whole truth. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed doing it and people enjoyed me doing it. And I seemed to not terrible at it. So, you know, why not? It's a hell of a better way of paying the live, paying the bills than working in a coal mine. Um, yeah, or I mean, a salt mine. Not, yeah, or a salt mine. I mean, it's not... I always get trouble get into trouble when I say this. It's not easy. Um, I probably work as hard or sometimes harder than I ever did when I was in the Navy. Well, not when I ever did when I was in the Navy. We were down Portland doing sea training in the Thursday war. I mean, that was, that was a night. Uh, but generally speaking, day to day, I probably put in as many hours, if not more, than I did when I was you know, doing a proper job. But it's stuff that I enjoy doing, and that makes all the difference. Exactly, yeah. If you can get paid for doing what you would normally be doing if you weren't getting paid for doing it anyway, bingo. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're Stick living the dream. It. Exactly. So what is it like being a YouTuber or with 600,000 subscribers or more than 600,000 subscribers now? Is um, is it any different than when you were just starting out? Um, it depends. It's... On a, on a day to day basis, nah, it's pretty much the same. It's still the same. Get up, check Discord, um, go through emails, watch replays, try to judge. You know what can I make a video out of? What can I not make a video out of? And then knuckle down to the process of actually doing that. Then uploading it, sorting out the publishing schedule, blah blah, so on and so on. And then you know getting some food, watching a couple of hours of TV or movies, and going to bed, and then repeating the whole process again the next day. That really hasn't changed. Um, unfortunately, there are other things that have changed. Uh, due to the situation with YouTube, 
the adpocalypse, um, the copper, the children's online privacy protection act. And, you know, all, all the things that have happened without wanting to go into specific numbers. When I had 200,000 subscribers six years ago, I was earning more from YouTube than I am now with 640,000 subscribers. Yeah. I, I, that was, um, you said that on your mingles with jingles actually. And I, I thought that was kind of, you know, oh, yeah, messed up, yeah. very messed up. Yeah. YouTube has effectively given me something like a 60% pay cut over the last six years. Whoa. Um, I'm not struggling. <laughs> so, you know, you need to keep this in perspective. Um, I'm not struggling mostly because of everybody who supports me on Patreon and uh, subscribes to me on uh, Floatplane. I'd be in a tough spot. I'd still be able to continue doing it because, you know, 640,000 subscribers is still 640,000 subscribers. But for the benefit of anybody who was maybe thinking of trying to make a career out of YouTube, sponsorships are the way to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely go for the sponsorships. And and having the viewer base that I have means that I get a lot. I mean, a lot of sponsorship offers. No joke. I probably reject 12 sponsorship offers every day. Whoa. Um, and it, yeah. Yes. Can you send them um, my way, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Raid Shadow Legends is up there with the, trying to throw stupid amounts of money at people to basically lie about how great Raid Shadow Legends is. But I get all kinds of... Mostly I reject them because... How do I, you know, the theme of my channel is military wargaming, history, stuff like that. And um, how do I tie that into selling greenhouses? <laughs> it's There's just a bit no, of a jump there. <laughs> there is. There's a bit of a stretch between those two things. So, you know, that's the sort of problem that I mostly have. Plus, I get asked to do sponsorships of things that I just don't like or would never use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, things like um, wireless earphones, which are not a bad product in and of themselves. And some of the brands that have approached me are fairly reputable brands, but I never use the things. You you can't use them for gaming. You can't use them for watching uh, movies on the PlayStation 4 and the big TV because the lag between, you know, because it's Bluetooth, there's a bit of audio lag there. there. Yeah, Yeah, the latency. So I might use them for listening to audio, when I'm cooking in the kitchen. But if I'm doing that, I can't hear anybody knocking on the door. Exactly. (laughs) Making deliveries during the COVID crisis when everything that I have is delivered to the door. So, you know, it's not that they're bad products. And if I use them, they'd probably be, you know, I'd probably have good things to say about them, but I don't use them. So I wouldn't be in a position to recommend them. And I'm not going to take money from a sponsor. um, If I don't feel like I can honestly recommend the product, which is why, despite the fact that I get easily at least 12 sponsorship offers every day, you can count the number of sponsorships that I've actually done Ooh, let's see. It's pretty much audible. just audible. Yeah, audible. Yeah, audible. Once a month for the last four months of last year. And then I think I did six audible sponsorships in total in an entire year. And that's it. So I, there's a fairly high rejection rate. Luckily, I'm in a position to be able to pick and choose the ones that I do take on. Uh, and audible has been a perfect fit because I was able to uh, pimp out the works of, of the late, great Jim Hornfisher. Yeah, um, so sad to hear that he passed away. Yeah, far too young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, his legacy remains. And he's got some unpublished works that his son is uh, finishing off, um, which we're just waiting uh, to read. So we do have that to look forward to. And, of course, um, the National Museum of the Pacific War in, I forget where, somewhere in Texas, is planning a memorial for him. Oh, really? Um, That's cool. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, the family have asked in lieu of flowers and donations, could you donate to the museum instead? Which was, you know, was one of his passion projects. Um, but yeah, Jim's books, 
um, books that Jim recommended to me, like Shattered Sword, I was entirely happy uh, to recommend to people um, in the Audible sponsorships. Uh, and it's a question that people ask me all the time, you know, what books would you recommend? Oh, anything by Jim Horn Fisher, and so on and so on and so on. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sponsorships, yeah, it... sponsorships are, if you can get them, are definitely the way to go because just relying on YouTube to pay you a fair wage is, it's not something you can rely on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's cool that you don't um, just randomly accept sponsorships from stuff that you can't actually prove that you uh, use and would or can actually recommend. I think that's well, uh, see, that's part. the thing. Pe- pe- people aren't stupid. That, that you know, if I'm waxing lyrical about the glories of this makeup kit, <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to take me seriously. Um, and your credibility—it's not just the number of subscribers that you have that the sponsors are looking for. You know, that your credibility is important as well. And and it's not just important to them; it's important to me. Um, I I want people doing that. I mean, the, there's always going to be somebody in the comments section saying, "Oh, I'm actually shilling out for big business again." Or yeah, blah blah blah. How can we trust anything you say? Well, whatever. Uh, but the people who've been with me for ten years, they know that if I'm going to recommend a product, it's because I like the product. I think they might like the product, and I actually use the product. Um, and that's that's all you can really ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's that's really neat that you don't really come by that much anymore. Um, so why the name The Mighty Jingles? <laughs> right. Okay. As, as you may be aware, I've been hopelessly addicted to World of Warcraft for the best part of the last 15 years. And one of my characters is a gnome warlock who goes by the name Jingles. Um, and I always, I mean, I, I don't really play on role-playing servers and I don't really role-play the characters in World of Warcraft, um, but there's just something about the gnome warlock that I found irresistible. And I always, in guild chat at least, when we were raiding in downtime between boss fights and I, I was on jingles, I would always be coming out with the whole, because it was sort of like wannabe Dr. Evil kind of thing, but crap oh, yeah. because he's a gnome. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and that really, you know, kind of resonated with the rest of my uh, guild. But the whole the mighty jingles thing actually comes from the Navy. Um, back after the first Gulf War, when I uh, I was between ships, I just left HMS Brazen, which was a Type 22 frigate, uh, which I served on during the first Gulf War. And I was uh, working at a place called uh, HMS Defiance, which was the uh, maintenance base in Devonport in Plymouth. And I would basically just get sent to various different ships that were in refit periods to work uh, with the communications department, because at the time I was a radio operator. So I would I was basically just a spare hand that they could detail off to do maintenance on the upper deck. And one of the ships that I got sent to was HMS Marlborough, a top 23 class frigate. And the communications yeoman on board the Marlborough, I cannot remember his name. Um, he was a Scotsman and he was one of the funniest people I've ever met. And he always referred to himself in the third person as the mighty yeoman. And it was, I just thought it was hilarious. And it, it was the kind of, you know, it, it totally suited jingles, this upstart pipsqueak wannabe world dominating warlock who was just crap at everything that he did uh, but in his own mind he was an evil genius and it just totally fit uh with that character yeah and, and yeah uh, and and that's kind of the personality that i adopted for youtube as well because i, I mean let's face it i'm not actually that good at the games that i play <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes it all the more enjoyable <laughs> exactly yeah i mean i'm i'm not terrible but I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I'm not a super unicorn here or anything. 
Um, but that's the thing about the mighty jingles. He doesn't know how bad he is. <laughs> and you can play off that and make it an interesting character. And uh, I-, I love jingles. He's a great character. He's not me, of course, but 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 he is, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's where the mighty jingles comes from. That is that is very interesting. I didn't I didn't think there was that much behind it. Oh yeah, yeah. That is um so that would also be the origin of the evil gnome overlord sort yep, of uh, that's, joke. That's ex- that's exactly the, that's exactly it. But I don't know where I came up with the salt mines thing. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> that was my I, next question. Where did that come from? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, it, it just it was just one of those things that became part of the mighty jingles mythos. I came out with it at some point. There might have just been an off off the cuff remark, and it just it was one of those things that just clicked with the audience. They loved it, and now they call themselves the salt miners. I mean, with with no with no input or provocation from me whatsoever. Um, in fact, they set up the uh, my my Discord, which is now, which is officially called the Salt Mines Discord yeah. server. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it's like I say, my community are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, it is they, one of they the just, coolest. Yeah, they just they just absolutely adore being bossed around. Uh, they're great. That's really cool because I mean, there's a lot of YouTubers out there that I like, and they don't necessarily have the greatest communities. But you're you're one who's got like the the really good YouTuber personality and also a nice community that um, I think I think just works really well. Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, obviously, if not for them, I wouldn't be here, or I would, but I wouldn't be earning a living from it. <laughs> so yeah, they they they're a good bunch. I I do, I do I am very proud of them. And then, so what exactly goes into making a video? So you said that you you take replays and then you uh, create a file of them and then put voiceover on them and then publish yeah. them. Well, I get sent. You know, I don't even know. It, it's it's easily more than a hundred uh, replays of me. I cannot possibly look at them all, and sometimes. Uh, World of Tanks has been a particular culprit lately, uh, where people have sent me this amazing World of Tanks game, except the second I start up the replay, there are no engine sounds. This was a bug that happened in World of Tanks, I think, September, October last year, and uh, it seems to have snuck its way back in. But it's not in every game. It's just It's like every other battle, there's no engine sound. Now, you might not think that that's too bad. Trust me, it is. Tanks storming around the countryside silently <laughs> where all you can, you can hear the you can hear the wind in the trees you can hear the birds singing but you can't hear the tanks it it totally ruins your suspension of disbelief it is literally unwatchable um so sometimes there are technical reasons like that where the replay is unwatchable um sometimes you see people doing amazing getting an amazing result like seven kills two hundred and fifty thousand damage but for one reason or another it's as dull as dishwater to watch. Like a thunderer replay. <laughs> yeah, like a thunderer replay. Just sits at the back of the map, spanning everybody with high explosive. 250,000 damage. Thank you. Dull as dishwater to watch. Uh, so I'm always looking for something above and beyond just I got six kills and did a 250,000 damage. Uh, I don't care if you only got three kills. Uh, I don't care if you got seven kills and only did 50,000 damage. There's got to be something in the battle that elevates it above you know, the, the average. Uh, and that isn't always the case in a lot of the stuff that I watch. So I'm constantly on the lookout and I'll spend hours every day going through as many replays as I can, just looking for something special. And it doesn't even have to be special. If it can be something that I can talk about um, enthusiastically on a subject that I think people would find amusing or entertaining or educational, uh, the battle itself doesn't have to be that good because I can... Again, that's one of the things that set me apart. And um, people like Drakinefell have absolutely taken to the next level, putting the historical context into you know this sort of thing. Um, and 
people appreciate my videos for that as well. So the battle itself doesn't necessarily have to be that good. I mean, the battle that Little White Mouse sent in, uh, the Canadian goddess of the North American forums with her amazing yeah. premium ship reviews. Just just absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's what made me yeah. go for the Palmer. It was just her review of it. Well, she had just done a review of the Agincourt, and she'd had a game in the Agincourt that was not bad, but it certainly wasn't going to set the world on fire. Um, but the, the fact that I was able to use that to talk about the Agincourt is what made that video. And, you know, the secondaries being hilarious didn't hurt either. Well, exactly, yeah. So there's got to be a hook, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't necessarily have to be a hook that's present in the replay itself. There might be the ship in the replay might be the subject of something that I could spend a good amount of time talking about. Um, so there's no real one thing that I look for in a replay. Then, of course, once I've got the replays, um, they've got to go into the editing software. I've got to record the commentary. I don't do a lot of editing. I'm not somebody like Euro, whose videos are basically 100% editing. Um, I, I do occasionally do things like that, but yeah, mm -hmm. it takes so long. <laughs> it's three times the amount of effort. Because uh, you'd be looking at like a tw potentially 20 minute long battle and you're only interested in a 15 second segment. So you've mm -hmm. got to go through a lot of replays to get a 10 minute video that's that's cut together and edited in the way that somebody like Euro's videos are. I mean, I appreciate the amount of work he puts in. And that's probably the reason why you only get a video once a month from him, because it probably takes him a month to get the material and then edit everything together. Uh, for me, it's a much, much easier process because as you've probably realized by now, I'm quite comfortable when it comes to speaking in public. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sometimes getting me to shut up can be the problem. It's um, not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you're a YouTube personality. Yeah, as as long as you know you you can at least be moderately interesting, then yeah, that's fine. Um, so then you know there's that. There's putting the commentary on. There's doing any editing. Then there's the upload. Now, of course, I upload not just to YouTube but also to Floatplane. Linus Tech Tips yeah. doesn't run it, but supported it. Um, and it's not really an alternative to YouTube, but Patreon's been attracting a lot of flack recently as well because of some of the dubious decisions. So people don't like YouTube. They don't like Patreon. Floatplane is like an alternative to Patreon, basically, where I can upload to Floatplane. People can subscribe on there. Uh, they get the videos at the same time as they go up on YouTube, but YouTube doesn't get a penny out of it, uh, which is a big draw for a lot of people. Uh, and you can download them and watch them offline in 4K, whenever you want. So there's that, just as an alternative. Um, and then I'll start the whole process again the next day, and I do that six days a week. But I enjoy doing it, so it's not really, you know, that much of a chore. That's really interesting. Um, so what's the issues with Patreon? I heard they had a big lawsuit situation. Was that yeah, a few months I can't ago? Remember. I cannot remember. Oh, this was, well, if there's anything new, then I haven't heard about it. But about a year ago, they had decided to... Um, get rid of this alt-right comedian who used to be on a popular TV show and then did stand-up and then started... You know, it was it was political, basically. Yeah. And they decided that he'd stepped a line, wherever that was, and they basically shut down his whole access to Patreon. And it wasn't... I mean, he wasn't happy about it, but it was his patron who decided to initiate a class-action lawsuit against Patreon because... And I'm sketchy on the details here. I know I did talk about it at some length, but this was like a year ago uh, because of something under US law where they Patreon was theoretically, if it could be proven in a court of law, interfering in a business transaction between two other parties by refusing to allow them to, um, you know, by, by cutting off his access to Patreon and therefore his supporters. The thing is, because of the way the arbitration worked, um, they had to address each 
every time somebody input a complaint, every time one of his supporters input a complaint, it had to be addressed on an individual basis. They couldn't do a class action thing in the you know common sense. The problem with that was it was because of the arrangements that Patreon had made with the arbitration service or something along those lines, it was going to cost Patreon $75,000 per case, even before the arbitration reached a conclusion. Wow. And this guy had a lot of supporters at <laughs> $75,000 a pop, and it potentially could have bankrupted Patreon. Um, obviously, it didn't. But, you know, those are the kind of problems that Patreon have been having by by upsetting people who were... And, and they had repercussions as well, because there were other people. And again, I can't remember the exact legal details, but there were other people who, who were potentially at risk from this, who had no political leanings one side or the other, and who relied because the kind of subjects that they discussed in their videos were deemed not suitable for most advertisers by YouTube, and who relied exclusively on donations through Patreon to make a living. Um, so there was a, again, I encourage people to Google the whole situation themselves and find out the details. But it was, I mean, yeah, thankfully, it yeah, it was a mess. Uh, it could have been really bad. Uh, thankfully, Patreon's, you know, I'm not saying thankfully Patreon is still here, but thankfully it didn't become as bad as it potentially possibly could and have hurt a whole lot of people. So what ended up happening there? Did they uh, just kind of settle it? Or? I can't remember the specifics. They must have settled it because they didn't get get bankrupted by the legal fees. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it was something that I heard about while it was developing, but then I never, I never read about or witnessed the conclusion to it. But the fact that Patreon's still going must mean that they settled in some way. Yeah, probably just privately. Yeah. Um, so, oh, geez, what was I going to say? So what keeps you going and making your YouTube videos? Is it the community? Is it just your personal enjoyment of it, a combination? or All, all of the above. Plus, it's nice to be able to pay my bills. <laughs> 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 and not having to worry about, you know, where the food's coming from and so on and so on. But yeah, it's a combination of all of the above. I enjoy doing it. Um, I feel like I'm pretty good at doing it. Um, my community certainly seem to appreciate it. Um, and it pays the bills. <laughs> So it's, you know, it's like I said, if you can find something that you enjoy doing and get paid for doing it. And I, I'm under, you know, I, I understand exactly how lucky I am to be in this situation um, because, you know, a lot, a lot of military veterans fall on really hard times when they leave the services, especially after, you know, as long as 22 years, you get institutionalized. Um, but the, the fact that I am able to earn a living doing something that I would do anyway for a hobby, which I was doing for a hobby at first, but now I'm able to earn a living doing it is just unbelievable. Uh, I, I do absolutely recognize how incredibly lucky I have been um, throughout the whole process, just being in the right place at the right time, covering the right topics um, to get the subscribers to grow and this and that, and, and having people stick with me for, the, for that length of time. I've got a great community. I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, Times are kind of uncertain lately, um, not just with the way YouTube's going, but the whole you know COVID situation in the world, which hopefully we're over the back of, but we'll have to see. Um, I don't know if I'm still going to be doing this 10 years down the line. I'd like to think so. Um, but with YouTube, it's just impossible. Nevertheless, um, it's been a hell of a ride, and I'm going to stay doing it for as long as I possibly can, as long as people still enjoy watching it. Yeah, I certainly hope you stay around for a while because you're definitely part of my morning routine. I have your videos on uh, when I'm eating breakfast or eating lunch. It's uh, certainly enjoyable. I, I've learned a lot about World of Warships from watching your videos. I remember how terrible I used to be at World of Warships when I first started. It was to the point where I was like, I thought that 
the high explosive ammunition was good to be used in uh, combination with an armor piercing salvo. So I kept switching because they thought that uh, every salvo was one was high explosive, one armor piercing, because uh, I thought that that worked better. And then I started watching your videos and learned that that probably was not doing anything. And that those, those uh, torpedo protection hit and ricochet uh, indicators yeah. meant that I didn't actually do any damage to the enemy ship. And exposing broadside to bring all my guns to bear was not actually the best idea. The thing is, doing that, firing one salvo of AP and then switching to high explosive means that you're probably doing more consistent damage than the people who didn't realize they could switch ammunition types. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it could have you could have kept doing that for years without realizing if you hadn't gone onto YouTube to try to find more information about the game that you loved, come across people, you know, like me. So, hooray, working as intended. Yeah, and then, I mean, I went back into your history to see, like, because um, obviously you upload... Uh, World of Warships twice a week, so uh, I went back in your history to get more, and I realized like how far back it went, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, wait a second, this dude's been uploading since I was six years old." It's yeah, I know it's uh, it's quite scary actually. I'm 51 now, and I'm not slowing. Well, I'm actually starting to slow down. Trust me, you enjoy it while you can because it doesn't last. Okay, <laughs> definitely will. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. It was a it was an honor to have you on, uh, especially since I just um have idolized you for a long time and um oh you <laughs> uh i was like i was thinking of becoming a youtuber but i'm like well then i'd give um my jingles competition so then i decided to go with podcasting uh because yeah. i had less overhead and uh haven't really looked back and yeah less so, competition <laughs> definitely well i'm the only one right now and then so like <laughs> yeah. two months after i kid you not two months after i put my first episode up all of a sudden world of warships has got their own podcast and there goes my listener yeah Never mind. Yeah. So, um, yeah, slowly just climbing our ways back through the ranks. And uh, so, th- thanks for coming on. And it was a pleasure to interview. Always, uh, always a fun person to be around and listen to. No, you, you're welcome. It's, it, I, I always enjoy talking about myself. So you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it has yes. been really, really good to talk. Thank you very much for asking me along. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for coming on. Well, that was certainly a very interesting conversation with Mighty Jingles. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as as much as I uh, enjoyed interviewing him. Uh, Don't forget to email me, uh, rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com with any suggestions or anything like that. Also, don't forget to check out my merchandise. I do have shirts and all sorts of things on the merchandise store. And until next time, Captains!